You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. Oh, f- the Johnny Rocket Launchpad is liberty. Each week we strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, experts, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check us out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com. You can hear me, Kurt Nelson, and the beautiful Heather Nixon talk about the ideas of liberty rock and roll. Hey there, Liberty lovers. This is Mark Clare of the Lions of Liberty podcast, where we strive to bring you great conversations about the ideas of liberty three days a week, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Check us out at lionsofliberty.com. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton, and if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com, or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow Podcast, striking the root every single episode. We are supported by listeners like you. Donate per month or make a one-time donation through PayPal or Patreon at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. We Are Libertarians brings you all of the irreverence modern politics deserves, and we explain to you what the hell is happening in our world today and how we can fix it by thinking differently. This is a podcast brought to you by the We Are Libertarians Network, so please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, share this episode with friends, and support us through PayPal or Patreon at wearelibertarians.com. We are supported by listeners like you, so $1 per episode by pledging $5 a month helps us grow. We are always taking your questions and comments via email at editor at wearelibertarians.com. Joining me on this episode, as always, is Greg Lenz. Greg, how are you doing today? I am doing well, brother. How are you? I am doing pretty well. I'm excited for today's conversation. Uh, well, I am too, because we're libertarians getting ready to talk to a woman. This I is know. very rare. It's very rare for us. And uh, so I saw a mutual friend you know the on facebook you get on the little facebook and you see all these additional friends and i saw jen's photo she's a a a very pretty girl so of course i had to add her and i added her because she looked she worked at gary johnson and so i was like oh this is interesting and i saw that she had this podcast about libertarianism like even better there's no libertarian women podcasters out there that i'm aware of it's like fate and then okay calm down and uh he's 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 on one today jen i didn't sleep like at all that's why okay and uh we did a podcast before this and i couldn't get him to behave jen so i apologize for my co-host he's already brought up hitler we'll talk about that in a minute uh and so and then i saw the podcast that she does is about communicating liberty and that's one of our favorite subjects to talk about so needed in the movement yeah and so we're we're welcoming jen jen gray today jen how are you doing i'm doing awesome chris thanks thanks so much for having me and uh you can check out her website at hey jen gray j-e-n-n-g-r-a-y uh hey and what is the podcast that you host the podcast is called Leading Liberty, and it's all about marketing, communication, and activism for libertarian, pro-liberty causes and campaigns. I saw one where you had like you were talking to a digital marketing expert about email marketing. So it's like it's in the weed stuff that is very a- applicable, isn't it? It's very 
you can people can actually use this information to grow their actual party their actual move the actual movement uh, can you help me i'm not good at communicating you can apply what you learn you're <laughs> right. t- you actually give them concrete tactics right. where most libertarians yeah, avoid so hard work it's a little it's a little bit of both chris it's it's um, on kind of the the bigger picture level of what is our message and how can we communicate this in a more compelling way to people who don't necessarily already think about government the way we do and then it gets a little bit more tactical in some episodes where it's geared pretty specifically to pro-liberty marketing professionals where it's like, hey, here's how you can build your email list, here's how you can use Facebook ads to actually go out and find these people now that you have your message. Cool, so how did you, when did you first realize you were a libertarian? Oh wow, so I I grew up in a an entire family of federal government government employees. Both of my parents worked for the NSA, and I just assumed that's what I was going to do too. This right, podcast well, is um, over. Jane, uh, J- Jane, Jane, that's your name. Uh, we've got to go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> crank call, crank call. Oh, you found the one plant <laughs> right, in the entire course. movement. You picked the plant. I Thank just you so had much. to friend her, didn't yep. I? <laughs> no, we're, we're sorry. But, you know, after after growing up with that, it really, you know, it got me to really think about, is this what government should do? And I went to Hillsdale, um, which is the only school in the country that did not take federal government money, ironically, <laughs> and studied and studied economic and constitutional history there. And that kind of set me on the path and got me thinking, you know, I don't really want to be a part of this machine that has done so much damage to, you know, to our our country in so many the world you know, economic and constitutional ways. So I started looking for and plus I was in Michigan. So I thought I want whatever is the opposite of this. So <laughs> I saw that there was an opening uh, at the Goldwater Institute out in Arizona to go raise money. And I thought that that sounds great. Um, so I went out there and that was right around Ron Paul time. And the he was a huge influence on me and really inspired me to to get more involved. So I would say that was kind of around that 2007 kind of time frame. That's when I went from a conservative to a libertarian. Interesting. Ron Paul, Ron Paul got us all. He touched us all deeply, did he not? He did. He did. Why do you think Ron Paul was so effective? Because he was such a terrible speaker. He is he to to most people he seems like such a crank, but to libertarians what is it about Ron Paul, do you think, that just touched all of our hearts? I think there's an authenticity to Ron Paul where he, yeah, he's not the most polished guy in the world, and sometimes his delivery is a little crazy, but <laughs> it's it, happening. he, he, buy, comes, buy he comes from the heart and he's consistent. Right. It, and he, you know, he's not afraid to take people on. I always loved it when he took on Rick Santorum um, and said, "Well, you're no, you're no fiscal conservative," and does it on live TV and just says it like a crazy old man, and you know, gives zero <laughs> craps about it whatsoever or the repercussions because he knows his seat was safe and he's going to do what he's going to do. Yeah, he was a rock star for sure. Okay, so you get involved at the Goldwater Institute. Uh, in, in around 08, you become libertarian thanks to those influences be, and Ron Paul. So what did you do with that information? I mean, every, everybody who becomes a libertarian doesn't just go, well, I'm a libertarian now. I'm going to go back to they, they go, I must help. I must do something. So what did you do? Right. Yeah. So I started working on the side um, while I was at Goldwater doing some political campaigns and ballot initiatives, you know, Arizona Civil Rights Initiative and you know, some congressional races and stuff like that. And I got really jaded in that process, you know, realizing that there's a lot of 
BS that goes into politics. And I just, I felt like <laughs> we were, we were really drawing from a source of support that was going to die very soon. You know, right. like, they knew Barry Goldwater were 90 years old and you know, our, the, the, their value proposition was mostly policy white papers at that point. They, I mean, they did get into litigation, which is awesome. And I do think Goldwater is a great organization, but I just felt like we weren't doing a great job as a movement as a whole of reaching out to people who didn't already care, you know, and I didn't want to waste a bunch of time and resources preaching to the choir anymore. So I eventually went out to um, an organization in Southern California that was building iPhone apps to kind of get people involved in local government. I thought that was a pretty cool idea and I raised some money for them for a while, um, but then ended up having my daughter who's now four and just decided there was, fundraising I thought was so tedious. You know, I, I, I hated the part of finding new donors and I didn't really know what the better way was and so I was happy to take a break from it for a while. Absolutely. Anybody who does fundraising is always happy to take a break from it. It, it is yeah, a skill. It, <laughs> it stinks. Have I, you ever? Oh, oh, yeah. My whole four years when I was the executive director of the Libertarian Party of Indiana, I had to eat what I killed. I mean, it was it was literally, <laughs> I mean, the fundraising was for my salary. And uh, that can be uncomfortable because, you know, especially at that period of time, I was still very, uh, I wasn't as, let's say, out of my shell as I am now. Uh, and so I, it's, it's tough to, to go, Hey, give me money, even though I'm not sure I'm worth anything. <laughs> That's a whole emotional discussion. <laughs> give me money. money. Isn't this a funny meme? <laughs> right. Yeah. So I didn't even know about memes yet. I still call them memes. Uh, so it is. It's a very difficult thing, and I think that that's one of that's something that we talk a lot about on this program. And actually, the episode before you is with a stand-up comedian about confidence, because one of the skills missing in the libertarian movement is confidence. We're a very insecure bunch of people who mm -hmm. who are not willing to reach out and ask. And so it's fundraising is one major blind spot in the movement and it, it's very it can be very difficult to be that vulnerable but i think you have to get over it and you have to just say hey i believe in this cause i believe in this organization i believe in this party i need money to make all these things happen it isn't it, you know and if you reject me it's not the end of the world because i'm gonna go ask 50 more people and i'll ask you again i'll right. keep calling yeah, I think for the you know as a, as a former fundraiser, if the if the ask were compelling enough, I might be willing to do it again. But you know, I've I've been approached by a couple of different organizations saying, hey, you know, we're looking for someone to raise major gifts. Um, and I said, okay, cool. You know, what do you what do you want to raise money for? And like, well, general operating support and. And I'm like, well, that I mean, that that's not exciting to me. And if it's not exciting <laughs> to me, it's not going to be exciting to anyone whose money you're trying to spend you know yeah like how do you whereas, how do i you know, sell if they, if they being say, an operating hey. budget donor you know right right whereas you know for example there um one organization i can think of that does a really good job of this is um, of the alternative i mean is young americans for liberty where you know they sent out this email it's like hey one of our students just got arrested for passing out pocket constitutions and it's going to cost ten thousand dollars to get a deter an attorney to defend him and other kids in similar situations. I was like, okay, that's something I can wrap my head around like that, you know, why you need that. That's a compelling ask. Or if it's, Hey, you know, for every dollar you give, we're able to show this video to a thousand more people or, or, or whatever, you know, make it some sort of 
quantifiable call to action that is exciting for the development director and the donor. Got it. All right. So I have an exciting offer for you, Jen. <laughs> I uh, I am looking for somebody to raise money for We Are Libertarians. I'm going to give you two percent for everything you, that you raise. What? Don't say no. All right. You don't um, say anything. No. So here at We Are Libertarians, we raise tens and tens of dollars a month, uh, but we've raised enough to offset the cost, and we give people something of value in return and they you know we just say hey you can donate one dollar per episode on patreon and uh people are doing it and happily because we give them something and i think that that is part of one of the pieces of this conversation today and and that i'm struggling with with the libertarian party um you know i think the goldwater institute and some of these other institutions can have a better ask for libertarian dollars than the libertarian party at large because they, there really isn't a defined product with the Libertarian Party right now. Chaos seems to be the, the thing that is being sold because uh, when there's no elections, everybody goes a little crazy and eats themselves. I don't know how long you've been in the Libertarian Party, but uh, over the last uh, several, almost 10 years, the, the in-between years, everybody just goes a little nuts. But that's one of the key parts of fundraising is absolutely knowing what your product, your what you're selling, what you're going to give out, what people are going to get in return, and that's what people will give money for things that they're passionate about. And I think you made such a key point that if you're not passionate about it as the fundraiser, and if you're confused as the fundraiser, people are not going to donate. And I think that's one of the reasons that the Libertarian Party has a lot of time raising money at the local, state, and national level, because they don't know what product they're selling. Right. But I think they could. I think they could come around. I mean, I think if the Libertarian Party were to, you know, get serious about its infrastructure, for example, and say, hey, you know, for every city council campaign we run, it costs $50,000. You know, for every state level campaign, it costs $100,000. I mean, I'm just, I'm just making up a number. But something that's so that they, they can kind of quantify what they need and why they need it and say, hey, here are the six people we need on every campaign. Here's how much it's cost, it costs to retain those people here here's how much it costs to advertise and do the filing fees and this is this is why we need it and i think then people feel like they have some ownership in the result they're helping create absolutely yeah it's i mean that's something that's inter- it's interesting that we don't take transparency transparency um, as seriously as we demanded of the government like by saying this is exactly what it costs presenting a budgeted breakdown that is you know a weapon in fundraising you can show what the operating expenses are and it gives you confidence to ask because it's you know donate or shut the lights off and do you care about this cause yeah for sure and i think if you can tell people too hey you know we need 10 people to give hundred dollars to do whatever it is that we need to do where it's uh, some sort of low barrier to entry where people feel like oh wow my contribution really does matter because they only need 10 people and if i'm one of them i'm i've gotten us 10 percent of the way there you know that that feels good to people i think so i think the freedom movement can definitely do a you know a, a better job in how we are making those asks so you come to your senses and you decide that you don't want to do fundraising anymore and uh <laughs> you then go on to do what so after my daughter was born, I stayed home with her for a year, and then I just I got the itch because I just kind of have that desire to work and be an entrepreneur and contribute to the freedom movement in some way, but I wanted to just kind of do something on the side. So I started my own little fitness business, 
And I was trying to advertise that in all the, basically all the ways that I had learned as a fundraiser. You know, I was doing direct mail and stuff like that, which looking back is so embarrassing. Um, <laughs> and it just was not working. So I thought, okay, let's do something differently. And I was starting to see a lot of video ads on Facebook at that time. So I started running some video ads to build up my first little fledgling email list. And within a week, I went from a year of basically hustling my family and friends and getting very little to one week later, I had 400 people on my email list that I had spent like $5 for. Mm, <laughs> so wow. I huh, okay, maybe there's something to this uh, and started consulting on marketing. And you know, a couple of years in, we were then, you know, I was working with small businesses at the time, but you know, Gary Johnson was starting to kind of reemerge. And then I just had this itch, like I, I knew this was the answer to everything I hated about fundraising. You know, like the, I thought this is this is how we can find new people. You know, if I can go out and find people who like yoga and live in my hometown and have kids under five, then Facebook can also find us people who could be future libertarians. So I wonder what we could do on that front. So I ended up basically suspending my my marketing consulting business during Gary Johnson's campaign to volunteer for him full time and I wasn't even part of his his campaign team in any sort of official capacity for most of that. I was just running video ads independently and training activists on how they could do the same thing. You know, hey, for every dollar you spend you can reach a thousand non libertarians with a video you shot on your iPhone. So that's that's what I was doing. And then I was recouping that cost on GoFundMe, you know, retargeting the people who watched the video and say, hey did you like this video? Because if so, every dollar you chip in, you know, gets in front of a thousand more people and a hundred percent of the proceeds go toward, uh, toward that. And I ran a $3 ad that raised $300. And that was around the point that I got in touch with, you know, with Gary Johnson's campaign and started, you know, throwing them some, some advice and stuff like that and realized that I really wanted to get back into the freedom movement and kind of change the way that we prospect and the way that we communicate. Cause I think there are so many cool possibilities now that just weren't a thing 10 years ago or even five years ago. Oh yeah. The atomized targeting is incredible. The opportunities of Facebook, you know, being infiltrating lifestyles has made, you know, big data and targeting just so much easier and so much more effective and, and more fun really. Well, one thing that is happening and I'm sure your parents know this, uh, is that <laughs> If you have a if you have a smart TV, if you're watching, so I I've met recently with a marketer. If you have a smart TV, and you're watching a TV show on your DVR, and you're watching it three weeks after it aired, it will it will trigger uh, on an ad placement network elsewhere that that IP is watching this show on this IP address via this smart TV, and then on your cell phone, you will start seeing ads for the Home Depot or the Lowe's or the you know O'Reilly Auto Parts or whatever it, that, that is showing up. It will show up on your phone because it will then start blasting to that specific IP address uh, display ads, which are the ads that you see in your phone. Like if you're, you know, for instance, you think it's freaky when you're on... Um, you're on Instagram, and all of a sudden, there's that Amazon product that you were just shopping. Well, this right, this, yeah, it's super. Creepy. Yeah, this is why you are. This is so many people say. You know, it's so weird. I was watching this show, and this commercial came out, and then 
I just I, for like the next day, I just kept seeing an ad for this company. Well, that's by design. They they are able the to tracking do- cookies have become self aware, like Skynet. <laughs> yes, I mean they're the, cross platform. Yeah. So it, it's kind of a it's kind of a you know if, if you can't beat them, join them type thing. You know, I feel like if we're able to do it for good, where you know most freedom fighter type organizations aren't even doing this. You know, with like the Facebook tracking pixel, for example, I did a little speed dating experiment and went to you know just off the top of my head as many pro liberty sites as I could think of in the span of like five minutes, and I think. Of the 30 sites I went to, only two of them had that that retargeting pixel on there, so that they could be getting back out in front of their website visitors. Because you know, if you go on Amazon, look at that pair of shoes; they're going to follow you around for a month. But if I go on to, you know, Reason or something like that, it, it's they're they're not going to follow me around like that. And I think they should. I appreciate the efficiency, to be honest. Like I, it, For me, it's not even if you can't beat them, join them, because more often than not, I look at something, get distracted and intended to buy it, and then it's completely out of my mind because of my gnat-like attention span. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are just so many cool possibilities, and you know, it, it's almost a little, I think, disturbing how much Facebook does know about us, but it basically, it lets us rent someone else's digital list for free. So you know, rather than doing direct mail, for example, where you know, you, you're paying by the time you rent the list in the mailhouse and the postage and the paper and all this, you know, and, and if you stamp your business reply envelope, you're spending like two or three dollars per piece of mail that 98 percent of it is going to get thrown in the trash and you get no kind of feedback on it whatsoever. We're able to say, all right, Facebook, show me people who, you know, like Rand Paul and live in my state and are likely to donate to conservative political causes. You know, you're able to know really exactly who you're talking to, and and renting that proverbial list doesn't cost anything. I I do I do think though that and now listen, you young whippersnapper, with all of your <laughs> with all of your internet things, I do still think that uh, I, I see a lot of libertarian campaigns heading this direction, and I'm still not totally sold that a Facebook advertising uh, really it translates into votes as effectively as a mailer or knocking on doors. I don't think that yard signs do anything at this point. I think that's a total waste of money. Bumper stickers are a waste of money. Other yard than, signs brand awareness to an extent. Well, here's the thing with yard signs, bumper stickers, buttons, all that, T-shirts, all that kind of stuff. Donors want that stuff. They expect to have that kind of stuff, especially older donors. And if you're a campaign, even a libertarian small campaign running for like a school board, and you don't have yard signs, there's something that makes you look like you're unprofessional. So if you're running for like a school board, get 50 yard signs printed at a Kinko's, you know. And drop them off at the nursing home. Right. Use it for, as a donor gift. But I, I have seen in my experience over the last 10 years as the digital age has come about uh, that y- mailers and knocking on doors, canvassing, are the most effective way to raise vote totals in precincts. Have you seen... Can you make the case or do you have, you know, even anecdotal evidence that Facebook advertising is seriously translating into votes at this point? Um, I have one example. Um, during the this last election, uh, I worked on a city council campaign where he was kind of the underdog candidate. I guess they didn't really expect him to win. He was on half of the budget of his opponent, pro-liberty guy versus much more establishment Republican type that my community seems to favor. 
Um, he did not print a single piece of direct mail. We um, relied heavily on Facebook video ads and door knocking. And, and I think before I go any further, I want to acknowledge that you you have you you make a good point that video ads and Facebook and all these cool things that we can do are great, but they're not a substitute for that one-to-one contact of door knocking. Like it's just a new way to keep yourself out there in front of people. But, but yeah, he, he won on half the budget of his opponent without a single piece of direct mail. And everybody was like, that's not how you do it. They're, you know, you're not going to win. You're not doing it the right way if you're not doing mailers. And we didn't. (laughs) Yeah. I would, I would say that, uh, you have to have that personal touch. If you're running for an office, you cannot run for office. If you don't have, uh, a presence in the community and you don't have a strategy for meeting several uh, meeting the people in every precinct several times uh over the course of at least one to two to three cycles but i would say that uh you're exactly right i'm not saying that facebook advertising doesn't work i'm just not i'm not i haven't uh i haven't seen that yet and i think you make a good point in that you have to concentrate advertising if you're if you're crafting things for your campaign or for your local party or for whatever group you're working with, advertising is about annoying, okay? Because and because, Disruption. because when you feel that you are irritating someone with a mailer or a podcast or a knock a, on the door. A knock on the door or whatever, you are just starting to make an impact because it takes so many repetitions to get in front of people, especially in this day and age, that yeah. you you have to choose two lanes and really hammer those out and i think that if you're a small campaign with a limited budget as all campaigns really all campaigns have limited budgets even presidential campaigns you better pick a lane and you either either should go it should be door knocking and going to events and then it should be either mailers or facebook advertising because you really need to drive down you need to drive up that personal touch with a reminder that you exist and so yeah, I think, I think I totally, I, yeah, I think that's a good point in that, that you don't want to do all three. You want to do two mailers or Facebook. I actually yeah, had really good really success this last cycle um, in district eight by doing the poll rather than trying to engage them. I created a fictional character of the sitting rep that we were up against. Mm-hmm. And so it had virtually no likes, but it was getting thousands of page views a day. Fake Larry Bouchon about all the fake conservative stuff he did. Right. And it exposed it. And then I targeted through the people in the district and people like loved it as like a satirical thing. And it actually drove people. Cause Andy almost got six percent i think right that's right um and it was i couldn't i can't bring them in because that takes time but i can create a polar opposite effect by driving them away and into my arms because they weren't going to vote for the democrat but they could i could drive them third party by mocking and satirizing the uh, opponent yeah and using his name recognition to drive people to you and just put fake sorry sorry jen there was a little crossover there what were what were you about to say Oh, I was well. For one, I think that your your fake person campaign that's that's really funny and hilarious. Uh, I was going to say that it's really you know, the where the video ads become a helpful supplement in addition to the door knocking as opposed to mailers is where cost is really an issue because those you can be hitting people for a penny or two a time, whereas the mailers are a dollar, two dollars, three dollars at a time, um, and you know with a mailer 
people are just seeing a piece of paper. They're really not getting a sense of who you actually are as an overall human being. So if they can't actually have you knocking on the door, the next best thing is to see you being a normal, nice person out and about. So some of the most effective um, ads that we ran were him out, like while he was knocking doors, he would hold up his phone and live broadcast a conversation with a constituent right at their door. People loved it because they could kind of see, hey, you know, this guy is out there. He's talking to people. He cares about people. He's a nice guy. And then another one was just a, a B-roll of a more serious video he did that I cut the B-roll just as more basically as a joke um, and sent it to him. He's like, hey, you should run this as an ad. It would be really funny. And it was the most popular video of the whole campaign because people could see that, hey, this is just a normal, nice person. The human side. Yeah, I think there's a big value in that. I I work in an industry that benefits greatly from political advertising on on these campaigns, although the federal government has forced uh, broadcasters to pay politicians, politicians pay a special rate. They pay a much cheaper rate because of federal law. Well, because they make the laws. Right. They make the laws, so they gave themselves a discount, um, <laughs> crowding out our inventory. But we, we, I work in an industry, but I, will, I would say that the, the thing about these, these gatekeepers that we used to have, like TV ads... This is a great way to get around that, where you don't need to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars a, a, a month, thousands of dollars a month on a billboard. You can do a display ad on Facebook and have the same effect for, let's say you're going to spend $2,000 a month on one billboard, which is a complete waste of money. <laughs> uh, right. In, in, unless it's in like a very small rural town where there are five billboards in the town, and that's then that might be... A, and you're standing on it, walking back and forth in front of it. Right, but if you're in Marion County, Indianapolis, with a million people in it, and you've bought one billboard out of the thousands that, of messages that a driver will see, that's a waste of money. But right. on a display ad on Facebook, you can create your own billboard. You can you created your own TV commercials, and you can have the same level of penetration into uh, at least a small voter base by creating your own ad. And really, all it takes is uh, so people think that it must be super expensive to get a video created. Sometimes you can do it on your own with just a. a, a small iPhone, you know, set up the way that it's crafted, but it has to be good. But you can go spend anywhere from one to $5,000 to get some TV ads created that are great gonna, ones. Go to a digital marketing agency like, hey, Jenny Gray, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> that can help you place these TV ads essentially in people's feeds and help craft the content for just a fraction. I mean, really, we were looking in, in 2012 at budgets of fifty to a hundred thousand dollars for TV ads for making them and then placing them and we could have the same level of market penetration around the state of Indiana for fifty you know for you would uh, own half. Indiana Facebook if you spent fifty thousand dollars on video ads. Yeah so so right. yeah it, it just it completely has changed the playing field and I don't think that libertarians recognize that Jen. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to someone, a, a libertarian, planning on running for U.S. Senate at some point in the future uh, yesterday, and he he ran in 2014 and was telling me that he spent his literally his life savings on six days of TV ads oh. the last time around, and that just <laughs> that just broke my heart, you know, because I thought God, like that it doesn't have to be this way, right? <laughs> and I'm sure he thought he was going to win on election day. 
<laughs> what that? I'm sure he thought he would win on election day or he had an outside chance. Well, people well, get people get excited about the first time. Yeah, well, they get excited about I'm on TV now. It's all going to change for me, but they don't realize the level of penetration that it takes to kind of get through to people to not straight ticket vote. Right. The rev the the, just the ap- absolute repetition. So I'm sorry to cut you off there. No, no worries. But yeah, I, I mean, t- TV is really, you're, you're, it, it's, it's a shot in the dark. I mean, you have no idea who's, who's even watching, you know, is it, is it the person you need to convince? Because the way you would communicate with a parent of school age kids would probably, you know, a conservative parent of school age kids would presumably be different than the way you communicate with a 70 year old, you know, left-leaning grandma. And so it's, I think it's important to, to tailor that message a little bit. And, and I'm partial to video ads because they let us do that for so inexpensively. That's such a great point is in that with the TV you're broadcasting and you can narrow cast by choosing your audience with Facebook ads. Maximum efficiency for the ads. Yeah. So, so that's great. Um, and so it can help raise money too, can't it? Yeah, it definitely can. I mean, just in, I wasn't even an official organization. I just had my own little page and I was running these videos. And then if people watch them, I was retargeting people who watched 25% or more of the video in the past three days and saying, hey, if you like this, every dollar gets it to a thousand more people and giving them a button to my GoFundMe page. And like you said, yeah, that $3 ad raised like 300 bucks. And that was just me being some like random girl on the internet, you know, it wasn't even like an official <laughs> campaign. Um, and so I, I think there's a, a huge potential for, you know, for pro-liberty nonprofits and political campaigns to, to start trying strategies like that, where they're, they're retargeting people who have already engaged with them in some capacity and asking them for something, you know, maybe it's first, it's just for an email address, but then they can target their email list and say, Hey, you know, we need X people to chip in X so that we can, go knock however many doors or whatever the the need may be. I was going to say one thing too is a lot of people may listen to this and think that they can spend $3 and get $300 in donations for their next campaign race. You being an expert and, you know, spending money testing these things for a period of time until you got your model figured out and the right personas and sort of the, uh, the right channels to reach that, that, um, people shouldn't get um, disappointed if they don't get the same returns, but they should reach out to you and other experts because I believe that you can create a ton of brand awareness and even saturate your local race by using those video ads. And then you can hyper target and do have the personal touch of video, but then you're building a list just like you've talked about. And then the cross promotional opportunities and joint ventures of sharing lists are just endless. And it's an asset you'll have forever and that you can always monetize. Yeah. 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 And you're, and you make, you make a great point there. Two, two great points really first being with, you know, with the email list, I think a big mistake that, um, that people who want to get into digital marketing make is they see that, you know, Facebook has, you know, like the, Oh, boost post, And they just say, Oh, okay. That's the easy button. If I don't want to actually learn how to do any digital marketing and Facebook's laughing all the way to the bank when we do that, because it's just showing something to someone, you know, and, flushing that 10 bucks or whatever down the drain when you, when you could be showing something very specific to a targeted audience for a specific reason, um, you know, and, and rather than paying 10 bucks for, you know, a couple more likes or views or whatever, you could be getting 10 email addresses, which, you know, you don't own your Facebook fans, you don't own your likes and all that, you know, the weird vanity metrics, but you do own your email list. And like you said, that's an asset you can take with you forever. Um, and I think you were, you were, 
also right that you know I I didn't just that that three dollar ad that raised three hundred bucks that wasn't like that wasn't the first Facebook ad I've I've ever run you know I'd been, yeah I'd been, I'd there been was some trial it. and error yeah and and there were there was definitely a lot of mistakes I mean I invested a ton of a ton of money and learning how to do it correctly and and experimented with it a lot so yeah I for people who are interested in doing it I definitely suggest getting some some professional help or at least some professional advice and I do free consults for pro liberty causes and campaigns so for people who are interested in doing that I would I'm happy to to help point them in the right direction yeah and, and that's a good point that uh most people don't realize like you hit the boost post you're just boosting it to a smaller audience you 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 need to actually get into the ads manager and it it isn't that hard find you still have to market if you it it, it, none of this is hard but if you really can't figure it out if you don't know the facebook's then then contact somebody like jenny i mean it's because you don't want to waste your money um and and a lot of times even if you do know what you're doing, talking to somebody like Jenny, it's like, you know, and this is not an ad for Jenny, but I guess it's an ad for Jenny. Well, you know, uh, we need it. We need experts like this. We do. We we need to <laughs> we need to stop make we need to stop wasting our money on things that don't work like just junk. You we, know, there's a lot of snake oil salesmen in the liberty movement who sell a liberty version of XYZ. But like Jenny has the expertise from what I can tell so far, I mean, clearly that's that that is so rare that I've experienced. I've mainly run into people who say, "Well, it's the libertarian version of X Y Z," and it's like, "Nah," but it's crappy. But like, they just don't have the product, the the knowledge depth that she has shown so far. Because this is what I you know study a lot too. Yeah, and I keep saying Jenny because it's her Skype name is it has Jenny. I apologize, it's Jen, isn't it? Yes, Jen Jen Gray. I was Jenny when I was little, and I was wondering if you were trying to like make a joke at me with my <laughs> no 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 no. i'm sorry no i uh it's just because of the skype name i'll so, here's the thing jen when i is hey jen gray too uh, oh it is well then i'm just yeah. dumb okay i'm i'm a very <laughs> dumb person uh so, so sorry about that um no sorry. so you you got involved with the johnson campaign and you started uh helping them with a lot of the things that we've just talked about and then what have you done since then so after the election, so it, the, Gary Johnson's campaign was really kind of an eye-opening thing for me, and it was it was a, a huge honor to be a part of that in some small way. But at the same time, I was fighting a battle that I knew I was going to lose, and so I was so glad that I that my now city councilman had reached out to me and said, "Hey, you know, do you want to help me out?" Because that was where I was able to realize that, hey, if I get involved on the local level, I can actually I can actually change things and do some do some stuff. Um, now that said, after the election, I was so shocked by the result. And I'm not saying that I wanted Hillary Clinton to be president either, but pretty much all I did for the, um, the month after the election was sit around and play Nintendo. So <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I have nothing left. <laughs> Are you saying you weren't excited about America being made great again? I was not excited about America being made great again. I was, I was just traumatized. I didn't know what to do with myself. Um, so after, after that, you know, we kind of get into the holidays and I knew I was like, you know, I, I want to contribute this back to the movement. I want to take this, this experience with the, you know, the digital marketing and the, and the political side and kind of merge those together into something that can really benefit other pro-liberty causes and campaigns and nonprofits. And so, um, I started the podcast at that point and started, just reaching out to so many of the awesome freedom fighter type people that I knew and getting a feel for what kind of frustrations they were having, you know, just, and 
what problems they were perceiving so that I could really create a solution that would be really helpful to them. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at now is just, is consulting with and, um, and helping point, um, pro Liberty people in the right direction. I recently agreed to be a, a board member for Gary Johnson's Our America initiative where we're kind of, you know, identifying local ballot initiatives and building coalitions for pro Liberty stuff in Arizona. So always keeping busy, but it's a good problem to have. Yeah, so what are some of the things that, you're, as you're starting to talk to people and consult with people, what are some of the biggest needs that you're finding? You know, it's interesting. I think a lot of these organizations, they they love the idea of doing some sort of digital marketing, um, and they feel like there's, there's so much left that they want to do that they're not able to do because of limited resources, and they just don't even know what the possibilities are. So... Um, that's kind of a cool place to be, though, you know, when you can go into a ground zero type organization that has a ton of great content and they just don't necessarily know what to do, um, you know, what to do with it. And they, they want to they want to get I think it starts with they, you know, they want to have a bigger impact and they want and, and in their mind, that means, you know, bigger organic reach and likes and shares and Facebook fans and all those other things. But then they realize, oh, wow, there's this whole new world out there of targeting and email list building and having people to virtual screenings of their documentaries and all these other really amazing things they can do. So I feel like we're kind of at this stage where they're, they're just, they're excited, but the, the, the movement as a whole is excited about the idea and just kind of dipping a toe into, okay, do we really want to go for this? Well, you know, they don't have a lot of capital to burn either. That's the one thing is they have a very short runway to get achieve liftoff. And that's one thing I've noticed is they're very, very frugal because they really don't have much leeway. And so you're kind of like a launch specialist then. Yeah. Um, but I will say that, you know, having been now, political campaigns are a totally different story. Those resources are much more limited. But in the nonprofit community, there's plenty of money. I mean, if, if people, I mean, I've, I'm not going to call anybody out, but I, I mean, I have seen and or heard of organizations that are easily spending $10,000 on a, you know, a couple new pieces of furniture and, you know, just expenditures <laughs> like that of things that just are not ultimately serving the cause, you know, and, and not that I have anything against overhead. I mean, we've got to have an office, we've got to have a place for people, you know, turn the internet on and people to come sit down and do what they need to do. But the the resources I think are, are definitely there for if you know, if this is something that people want to do, especially in the pro liberty nonprofit world, for sure. Do you fight like with with offline marketing? There's more of like a tangible satisfaction I find more often than not with customers, but with digital, it's almost sort of like magic or alchemy or something like that, where it's not the same sense of satisfaction because they can't really touch or feel it. Um, how so? Uh, like I'm, I'm trying to exp- um, having a, like they can't a, a wait to spend a lot of times they'll spend money like they'll give the benefit of the doubt to a direct mail campaign or buying yard okay. signs but with digital advertising it's as if the the results aren't immediate and your model doesn't hit the ground floor and start working day one they tend to be a lot more skeptical skeptical and negative and revert back I, I can I let me weigh in on that first Jenny and see if you agree in my experience it is a lot of the people who are decision makers in the higher ups of the party who are the wise sages of the party are older and they know that this stuff has worked. And so they're, they want to use you confirmation know, bias. Th- th- it's confirmation bias. Exactly. I mean, yeah, but, but, I, I don't 
fault them for that, for knowing that you know we've been using direct mail to do this for the past 20 years, and that's great. But pro-liberty people are also kind of the the innovation crowd, and I think if they were to take what they you know the couple thousand dollars that they're spending on one direct mail campaign and put that into a you know a, a Facebook prospecting campaign instead, for example, I think they'd be pleasantly surprised how much of an initial upfront result they are getting, which might not what which might not be dollars right away um, that very first day, but what they do get that very first day is really helpful metrics on how well that message is actually resonating. So instead of taking this message and printing it out to you know. 5,000 people and spending $5,000 sending it to a bunch of people and you have no idea how, whether they liked it or not with a, you know, with a, a video, for example, you're able to see how long did people actually watch this? How, what was the, what was the relevant score for this audience? How much did people interact with it? How often did they share it? Um, the engagement and, tracking. Yeah. You know, how, how many email addresses did, did we capture off of this ad? What was our conversion cost? What was our cost per view? And those those metrics can be really helpful in, in letting you know, okay, do, should we pull this ad because it's not working very well or do we want to do we want to double down and run into some more people because everybody's really liking it? <laughs> yeah, in my mind, I'm picturing a candidate, an old-fashioned candidate here getting mad. I spent $30 promoting that post and it only got three shares and 16 likes. Exactly <laughs> it's right. It's like, well, your weaponized autism is, <laughs> is a deterrent to getting shared. The... <laughs> Well, I'm thinking of my my former boss, Sam Goldstein, who was on the technology still committee is, isn't he? For the technology committee for the LNC, for goodness sakes, and has an AOL email address. Was paying twenty four ninety nine a month. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and Sam, when I you know the the majority of in my four years, like I, I I'm like number nineteen million on Facebook. Like, as soon as it came to IUPUI, I got into a Facebook. I've been on Facebook for, like, 13, 14 years. And so I was an early adopter to all of that kind of stuff. And so I really understood the power of social networking as a, you know, a 27-year-old person working in the party. And all of the people who were on the central committee and who were my bosses, and Sam specifically, who was my boss... You know, they're like, listen, what has worked for us in the past, meaning all those elect- all those elections we lost <laughs> were were yard signs and bumper stickers. And, you know, I was like, OK, yeah, but and so the, the party grew a lot between in those four years because I was using Facebook to promote events and network people together. And and it was a very powerful time because we were using this thing where it, it, it's the new cafe it's you know 100 years ago people were walking in and recruiting you know pol- political ideals and uh, getting people to switch by handing them pamphlets and at cafes the public square and yeah the, you know in 200 years because the public square i mean now facebook is where we all live like to give you guys an understanding you know there is to our audience facebook is it facebook is the internet facebook and google yeah <laughs> And I mean, and Jenny, you can, I mean, if you know any stats or, I mean, but you can verify that Facebook and Google are the internet now. Yeah. I mean, they, they basically are. And I think a a mistake that, that a lot of pro-liberty causes and, and any sort of business for that matter tend to make is they think, oh, well, the more social media platforms I'm on, the better. And so they end up kind of spreading themselves too thin and, you know, they need to kind of take a step back and say, okay, 
who's our audience and where are they hanging out online? Because, you know, for YouTube, for example, that's where people are going to find things that they are actively looking for. But Facebook is where everybody's hanging out, where we can show people things that they're not looking for. Because nobody's out there looking for, you know, which libertarian is running for city council in my city. You know? Yeah. <laughs> nobody's that's searching. That's a great insight. Nobody's Passive versus active discovery. Oh, yeah. Think about your own behavior when you're when you and your local party or local campaign are crafting out your strategy think about your own behavior and it can be a pretty good indicator of everybody else's behavior as well you have to be careful that you don't like think that everybody behaves the same way that you do but in general if you think about it what is the first thing that you do when you wake up you reach for your phone you stare at your phone you check your email you check your facebook you probably check your facebook and then your email or if there's yes. a text message and then as you're going to bed what is the first, last thing you do you stare at your phone before you go to bed you know, as you're yep. watching TV, yep. as you're watching TV, you're staring at your phone. You're, you're and 25 percent of that time is spent on Facebook. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a, I think that's a pretty close number to what it actually is. It's the operating system of the new world, and it really is. It is, and so you have, you have in Facebook something that everybody is seeking out and going. How many times have you been driving down the road and gone? You know what? I'm going to make sure that I look at every billboard as I drive into work, <laughs> or. <laughs> I'm going to not skip through these TV commercials so I can make sure I watch a political ad. You don't do that, you, but you do get those Facebook ads, and you do click on those Facebook ads because people like us are starting to inject content into these sponsorable ads that you actually want to see. Yeah, it's relevant right? and welcomed. Because if you're a libertarian, you want to know what's going on in the libertarian world. You want to... We, we f sponsor things and advertise on Facebook all the time for We Are Libertarians, and it has really helped our growth over the last three years, two years especially, because it, it, it people want to... Libertarians want to know about us. And so that's what we do spend money on. We do spend money growing this because... You know, we have a big Facebook page, but we have, let's say we have 90,000, we have 86,000 likes on Facebook and we have 7,500 listeners. There's a big gap there. So you want to market to the people that are most, you know, that are like you want to get those people into a certain funnel and get to your product. But it all goes back to remember your product. What are you selling? And start from there and then work your way out. Make sure that everything looks pretty. You know, you have to have good branding. Spend money on a graphic designer. I've never seen a libertarian campaign ever spend money on a graphic designer except for Rupert Bonham, and his campaign stuff was beautiful. And that is, like, the biggest... Huge. That is the biggest key. Go... And if you can't go spend a couple thousand dollars on a graphic designer, then... 99 at, Designs. At is least go to 99 Designs and do it. I mean, I, I can't stress, and, and Jen, I mean, you... You being uh, your website is beautiful. Yeah, uh, it looks great. You have to be absolutely appalled at the graphic design in the libertarian movement. I I am I am appalled <laughs> at the graphic design of the libertarian movement. And I'm going to throw all the libertarians listening a tip right now. If you don't have a couple thousand dollars to spend on a graphic designer, no problem, because there are amazingly wonderful, talented people in the Philippines who. So everything on my website. My podcast graphics, my social media graphics, everything that you see on there, I got for one hundred thirty dollars wow. total. That's a, so, that is outstanding. No, not the actual design of the website, but the the actual 
images the that I use. Elements, yeah. Do you feel bad about exploiting yeah. Philippine labor? <laughs> oh, because here, <laughs> because in the Philippines, a doctor, for example, makes like eight or nine dollars an hour. So for them to make five or six bucks an hour on graphic design is an awesomely mutually beneficial exchange. So, yeah. and the person who's trying sorry, to- I just went to Jen's website and the video started playing. Uh, did you did you go through Fiverr or how did you find Odesk. somebody? I actually, so I I have gone through Fiverr for other things. The intro of my podcast I had done um, through Fiverr, um, but the graphic designer, I, a friend of mine who also has a podcast, just had this the most beautiful podcast cover I'd ever seen. I said, "Girl, you know where did you who did your your podcast cover?" Because I knew whoever it was, I wanted her to do mine also. And so she gave me the referral. And when the girl gave me her, I, I said, "You know, hey, you know, here's what I need. Can you give me a quote?" And when she wrote back $130, my jaw hit the floor. I was like, "Sold." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. So, yeah, I mean, there are a lot of little things like that 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 really don't have to be as expensive as we used to think they were. Our, our symbolism so bad. Like, there's there's no uniting symbolism because it's like the Liberty Chicken or the Porcupine or the Statue of Liberty, the old logo. Like, we need centralization and standardization we so let, bad. We let Brett Bittner design the new National Libertarian logo, and he picked gray. <laughs> <laughs> Brett Bittner, Brett Bittner's a friend of ours. Well, we tolerate him, right? Uh, and and he and I the the biggest well the second biggest fight we've ever had uh, was over me saying how much I hate the like I said, dude. I said I hate the new bumper stickers. He goes, what do you mean? I go, it's a gray bumper sticker, dude. Come he on. He used Roboto font, turned a chicken around backwards, painted it yellow, and put it on gray. <laughs> oh, he was mad. <laughs> So, but, chicken. but see, like Jen uses the gray and the yellow to like a pretty effect. So whoever, to stand out and like right, have contrast. Whoever you hired, actually, I, the National Libertarian Party needs to hire the hundred and thirty dollar girl. Then, so yeah, I, it, I it, agree. It's worth so much to your brand value and how serious you're taken, and even how people feel about like getting behind you and supporting you. Right. No one wants to support somebody with dot wicks in their website. That's that. That's their candidate they're right. going to vote for. Yeah. Like the marketing stuff is just it is everything. It is the only thing. Like well, our product, we got to figure out too. But right. Yeah, but the the marketing is the thing holding us back because there's so few people that know what they're doing. So. So, Jen, what is the thing that uh, if you could change every libertarian and take this one trait out of them or their approach to messaging and marketing, what what would you erase? I think it would be <laughs> it's a tough one. Um, I think it would be this kind of tendency to start with stupid. And what I mean by that is just this assumption that everyone who has not read Hayek and Mises and all this other stuff is automatically an idiot. And so whenever we attempt to have some sort of political or policy conversation with someone, we're spending more time trying to convince them that they're an idiot than we are actually trying to sell them on the idea. You know what I mean? So, I mean, if we're trying to sell someone on an idea and they're willing to, you know, pull up to our proverbial dealership on even one issue, then let's ask them some questions and figure out where they're coming from and, you know, see where we might have some common ground and so that we can sell them on our solution rather than, you know, insulting the car they drove up in. Girl, Greg may be right. I might be in love. Yeah. You just spoke, <laughs> you just spoke right to my heart. We, we, our sales process is literally reversed. We're like, you need to go read human action. Then you can vote for me. 
I have never <laughs> read Mises, and I never will read Mises. That's just not going to happen. It's not in the cards for my ADHD brain. <laughs> Show me a three-minute video on Mises, and I'll go. I'll be down. <laughs> I actually mentioned in the very first episode of my podcast, I was like, "Hey, you know, even Mises said there are two types of people that we need in the in the freedom movement: the people who create the ideas and the people who go out and sell the ideas." Yes, right? yes. producers Earlier, and then the marketers, engineers. And the salesman, and we need more salesmen. I was like, and on that note, that is the last time you're going to hear me say Mises on this podcast because no one who is not already a libertarian knows or cares. So moving on. One hundred percent. I'm so with you. He sounds like a Nazi. Mises, Ludwig von Mises. All it right. sounds Nazi. Now, see, listen, we're we're, we're coming to the <laughs> end of this. To we're coming to the end of this interview, and unfor- unfortunately for Jen, we're out of time to talk about Hitler. I had to get in some kind of Hitler reference <laughs> uh, because. So Jen sends this very nice note. She's very gracious to give us her time and come and talk to our audience. And uh, she's like, so what do you guys want to talk about? And Greg sends this 15-page screecher about selling Hitler and how Hitler rose to power and how Goebbels did it. And I'm like sitting there, I'm driving, reading my phone, going... Is he serious? This this girl does not know our show. She does not know us from Adam. And then she didn't respond like for three days. So I'm just didn't expect you to even come on the show after that. Because I was just like, she must think we're alt-right Hitler-loving freaks. And I'm not. I am not. I know that much. Jen, was it that bad? I, I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I definitely raised an eyebrow a little bit. I was like, <laughs> okay. That's not quite my area of expertise. So I thought, let, let me give it a day and noodle it, and I'll see if I can <laughs> come up with something that kind of answers what I guess they're looking to talk about. <laughs> now, Greg, y- y- defend yourself. So it is a book called Selling Hitler that's an academic book in marketing about how the Nazi party essentially just became propaganda for propaganda's sake. That was the entire function of the party. And it was a framework for building a movement to – uh, how Goebbels was so successful in selling it to a middle class white population because it's easy to desperate people it's easy to give a victim to sure but doing it to engineers to middle class white collar people is a totally different thing right and so he was able to do it and the framework the book the thesis is that he was able to do it by focusing on the mythology and how much time he spent and these fault these face uh false narratives of the germanic people and us against them the globalists if you will right <laughs> then his other thing was the rhetoric and inspiring pride and always making everything with the symbolism being about pride and it was sort of this rein- this reinforcing cycle and system that once it became automated, it just sort of went until these people that were engineers that worked, you know, at Volkswagen didn't even think twice about, you know, crimes against humanity. Right. And didn't even think about it because they were so engaged into the cause and what they were doing and felt like they were changing the world. Right. And so that's where I... It isn't where everyone starts in marketing. I start with the best. <laughs> I, and, and I, mean, I, I will say, I have to hand it to them that it, to invest that much time and thought into what is our message, who are we talking to, and how are we going to persuade them? You know, I, I that's that's smart. I think we we need to we need to spend a little bit more time getting to know our audience and asking ourselves, you know. Who who are these people? What problem do we solve for them? And you know, why would they want to be a part of this? And where are they going to find us? And how do they get involved? You know, I, it's it's important to map that stuff out before we, you know, to start 
blasting boosted posts everywhere without you know a real clear goal in mind absolutely and, and if you can create an illogical frenzy then that's what we're really after <laughs> it, it, yeah apparently that helped too <laughs> so yeah yeah post something about satanism or something but no i uh I, greg and i are both i wouldn't say admirers but we respect the skill that it took to uh to build that propaganda machine and how he took Bernays propaganda and 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 what he did with it. And I think that there are a lot of things that we can learn from uh, building a movement. And, you know, the end goal is I don't think that it's bad to look back at history and say, OK, here's how they did it. Because to me, it's so fascinating because I, I do not understand how a society can become that evil. And and so you want to look at it like a forensic scientist and say, how did this happen? Um, but at the same time, it's probably not the subject we'd start off uh, on our first t- uh, our first podcast with Jen about Greg. He was he was so excited. He was like, "Hey, I've got that selling Hitler book in the car. Can I go get it?" Well, it's a uh, fascinating framework because it's 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 just a complete system. It's your mythology. It's the uniting, right. and you know it, that's what we have to do if we're going to win. And they had they had an evil end, and we have the end of leave them alone, leave them alone, leave everyone alone. Respect Hitler the, can never happen again. Respect the harmony. Uh, that exist between human beings and uh yeah so so i thank you for not ditching us and <laughs> yes i didn't realize it was as bad as it was i had a blurred out moment and then self-awareness kicked in and, and spangle shamed me on social media and i felt bad about it for an afternoon it was very funny to me i i saw it happening and i was just like oh boy <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for having me on. This was this was a real pleasure. Absolutely. Please uh, tell us again where people can follow you on social media, your website, and your podcast. The best place to find me uh, is at my website, which is heygengray.com. Hey, like H-E-Y, gen with two N's, gray with an A. Um, and then right across the top there, you'll also see uh, the podcast and more information about my little mastermind I have going and uh, social media links all in the same place. Cool. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on this uh, episode of We Are Libertarians. Greg, final thoughts from you. Now, I don't have to like recruit my friends and join your team if I use your services, do I? <laughs> You're talking to me? Yeah. <laughs> I'm messing with you. This isn't like it works for Liberty, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. I actually did use, I used to be in network marketing and uh, I'm not a big fan of that business model. Though I will say, the, you know, final thought, I do think there are opportunities from the, for the libertarian movement to have sort of a networking type way of, a, of activating their, their base. I think that would, I think there's a lot of cool affiliate stuff we could do. Totally. Multi-level marketing for donations. Yep. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Well, you. This has been very helpful. Uh, I thank you so much for coming on the epi- on this episode of We Are Libertarians. Uh, thanks. Thanks a lot, Jen. And uh, thank you for joining us here on this episode of We Are Libertarians. And as always, we promise to do better next time. Thank you for listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Get our other shows at wearelibertarians.com.